Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Views on View. I'm your host, Lindsay Wardell. With me today is Steve Edwards. Hello from Lindsay and I both are in sunny Portland. A little cooler than it was, but definitely sunny and clear today, at least. Until this weekend when it rains again. Ah, yes. Oregon in April. Imagine that rain. I know, right? Unexpected. Shocking. And today we have two special guests. Our first is Luke Diebold. Welcome, Luke. Thanks for having me. Coming at you from Eastern Australia. Woo! Bright and early there. Yes, 4 (laughs) a.m. But full of beans. (laughs) Awesome. And our other special guest today is Kahlo. Welcome. Hey there, from Italy. Reggio Media in particular. Did you work your tail off to get that senior developer gig just to realize that senior dev doesn't actually mean dream job? I've been there too. My first senior developer job was at a place where all of our triumphs were the bosses and all the failures were ours. The second one was a great place to continue to learn and grow, only for it to go under due to poor management. And now I get job offers from great places to work all the time. Not only that, but the last job interview I actually sat in was a discussion about how much my podcast had helped the people interviewing me. If you're looking for a way to get into your dream job, then join our Dev Heroes Accelerator. Not only will we help you get the kind of exposure that makes you attractive to your dream employer, but you'll be able to ask them for top dollar as well. Check it out at devheroesaccelerator.com. So Luke, I had my background in the banking industry. And so one of the names that I was very familiar with from an ATM machine standpoint was Diebold. Any relation? I believe so, but I'm not 100% sure. Actually, I've got a, like a weird story that I learned about this. I'm not sure if it's true, but apparently the Diebold Bank, or one of the ways that it became popular is there was like a banking safe convention or something like that. And there was like this huge explosion that went on there. And their safe was the only one that ended up surviving, one of the Diebold safes. So um, unfortunately, I didn't seem to inherit any money from you know any of that, but... Oh, that was going to be my next question. But <laughs> no, I'm not like some multi-millionaire in the banking industry. <laughs> no, not at all. Not yet. <laughs> no. There's still time. Yeah. Well, awesome. I'd like both of you to introduce yourselves before we dive in too far. Let's start with Luke. If you could just introduce yourself, kind of how you got into programming, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'd love to share a bit of my story of, yeah, sort of how I got started. I actually started off as a musical theater person and pianist. So that's what I studied. I studied that for about like five or six years. And I remember like, I I remember whilst I was doing that degree, becoming super obsessed with a musical language, like not a coding language, but a musical language called solfege. Um, It's also like known solfa. I don't know if any of you guys have heard of it. Like if you've ever seen um, The Sound of Music, they sing that song, Do, Adia. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, So there's, that's like, in that song, they're actually teaching you a musical language. And it goes like, do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do. And I sort of like became totally obsessed with this language. And I remember like walking home every day from university, kind of like improvising solfege and like singing it to myself. And it was so cool because all of a sudden I could listen to music in the real world and I could translate what I was hearing in my head and like start writing it down and start like experimenting with these sounds. And so once I'd finished at university, I kind of had this idea, this vision of a website that I wanted to build, which was a, basically a site that taught you soul, taught solfege through like different games and stuff. And so I like, I just kind of like became obsessed with this. And even though I had virtually no programming experience, I guess I didn't start coding because I wanted to be a developer. I started coding because like I had this vision 
of building this website that teaches people this musical language of Solfetch. So yeah, this is, I think this is why like a lot of the tutorial videos that you see, the ones that end up being really good, at least in my opinions, are the ones that already have like a vision of what you're going to build. So yeah, I kind of became obsessed with this and then I learned, I didn't even really know much about like what JavaScript or HTML was, but I realized I had to learn them. So I learned HTML, JavaScript, PHP. I actually started with CodeIgniter, even though other stuff existed at the time because I was, you know, wasn't aware of what else was available out there. And then, yeah, so it all came out of like a desire and a passion to build this vision of a website that was in my head. And then, you know, funnily enough, I kind of fell out of love with a lot of music stuff because I was working as a piano teacher, just kind of like became less interested in it. And then I was like, man, but this coding thing is so cool. And yeah, so, and one of the reasons, which I guess we'll get into later on that I ended up falling in love with Quasar is the fact that I would spend about 70 to 80% of my time writing CSS for this website. It's like all of a sudden, like CSS was just taking over all of my time. Or, you know, I was always trying to like tweak things and make it look exactly how I wanted. And so I loathe writing CSS now. But yeah, that's kind of how I became a web developer. It all started with piano, musical theater, fell in love with this language of music and wanted to build a website that teaches it to people. Yeah. So that's that's my story in a nutshell. That's awesome. I think it's great when you get into one passion through a second one or second passion through a first one, I guess. That's that's really how I got into programming as well. Not through music, but through wanting to build, in my case, it was fan games for Sonic the Hedgehog. And uh-huh. I started digging into to programming from there. And then it just led me into web development. That's where I stuck. So it's, it's interesting to hear the number of, I've heard a number of stories of people who have gotten into development who came from a music background, just because it seems there's similarities in understanding the two worlds, music and, and coding somehow. I mean, I have, I have a music background myself, at least I used to play trumpet, you know, up through high school and I've dabbled in piano playing over the last two years, but I've never you know, quite seen the, the, the tie-ins and the relationships, but I wasn't, you know, a real like full-on musician like, like some people were. Yeah, it's awesome. I think there's a lot of lessons that you learn in terms of, in terms of like how you think and resilience with music that I guess for some reason seems to have like a crossover. Like musicians, I think maybe they just really love sort of figuring out sounds, like figuring out why things sound good and like finding different ways to play around with those sounds. And I don't know, I think that's like kind of akin to refactoring in code. Like you want to make things um, how you like it. Yeah. I don't know. That's my best guess, at least. I think there's also a parallel with when, when you're, I, I'm, I like to sing. I used to perform in a choir and uh, do solos. And when I'm performing, I'm singing the same song I've sung however many number of times, but it's very similar to spinning up your local, when I'm singing for fun, spinning up my local environment and just kind of walking through the code and making sure it all works and just running the application over and over. It's the same, in many ways, it's the same idea. You're running through an algorithm to, to generate a result. Yeah, yeah, totally. Cool. Kahlo, could you introduce yourself as well? So, well, I started, when I started coding, when I started developing well, actually, mine is a pretty much standard story, I guess, not like the one uh, from Luke. I just like been exposed to computers since I was, I think, six years old, and I just went down from there. I did all the IT academic path, university, um, and whatever. And then uh, a friend of mine just asked if I wanted to create a company together. And we just went with it. 
and uh, right now I'm the CTO of a company of five people, so I don't know how. <laughs> not, not, not really a, a, a big achievement until now, but how we will get to grow. And then, uh, well, actually, we I moved around all the IT field. Like, I loved Laravel. Then I, I was forced in some way to move to Angular. Then, again, I moved uh, through Vue. And that's the point where I saw Quasar and uh, I pretty much got in love with it. And then I just said, okay, I like this. Let's just let's just see how how I can contribute. And then I went over with it. And uh, right now I'm in the core team. And that's it. I guess this is my path. It's pretty linear, linear actually. So you grew up with computers. What what brought you into the IT side of it? I also grew up with computers. They they were just always around me. But what interested you in getting into programming? Well, it, I guess it's it's always the same for everyone. I wanted to to do video games, but it didn't it didn't went that way. Well, well, actually, I could now. I actually have this this dream in the back of my head, like to start at some point, go away for two years, enter the video game industry, and come back and open a branch of my company doing video games. It's still there. I will probably do it. I don't know when, but I will probably do it. I tinker sometimes with with building some video games. They're not much more than you know divs on a screen because I'm a web developer and that's my technology. But it's always a lot of fun to just try and explore that original passion for me. So well, I I wish I, you the best of luck when you get there. <laughs> we actually saw a person build a, an RTS video game using Quasar based on coronavirus stuff. It was wow. like, what? <laughs> yeah. it, it was really, I was shocked. We were all shocked, like, okay, we, we knew, we, we knew Quasar could do anything, but we didn't imagine, imagine this. That's pretty awesome. And I think Quasar is going to have to be my next target for the game that I make in multiple frameworks just for fun. With that said, and we've mentioned it a few times, this today's episode is going to be about Quasar. And I think this is the first time we've really done a deep dive into Quasar, at least since I've been on the show. So I'm very excited about this. I know a bit. I've explored Quasar here and there. Haven't found a really good fit for a project yet, so I haven't been able to dive in too much. But I really want to talk about it and share your excitement with everyone else, because I know this is a really cool project. So let's just start at the beginning. What what is Quasar? Yeah, okay, great question. Quasar is a material design framework that allows you to export to just about any platform. So you can export to desktop, mobile, you can create an SSR, a PWA, an SPA. You can even create a, a browser extension using Quasar. So that's kind of like, I guess that you could say that's quote unquote the initial cell of Quasar, the fact that it exports to all of these different platforms, which allows you to build for these different platforms ridiculously fast. But having said all of that, for me, Quasar is actually so much more than that. In fact, where I work, we've been using Quasar for about two or three years now. And even though we plan on exporting to other platforms, I actually only use it as for building PWAs because building a, just building a PWA or even an SPA in Quasar is an awesome, awesome experience. Yeah. And the component library at least for me, is second to none. 
which is which is like kind of the heart of what Quasar is. So it's it's a component library. It can export to all different platforms. But on top of that, it, it sort of gives like a more fuller development experience. So what, like one of the things that drew me into Laravel, I'm also a Laravel developer for the back end. Mm, you should mention that. Hmm. Yeah, well, it's, it seems like most people who come onto this podcast are Laravel developers as well. We've had a good is, string of them, yeah. Yeah, which is awesome because when you're doing when you're doing video content and you have to and you're doing a front-end framework like Quasar, you're gonna have to have a back-end at some point. And so even though I'm going to be doing videos for stuff like Firebase, um, GraphQL, and like Nest.js and stuff like that, you kind of want to have like a core backend framework. And the fact that everybody, not everyone, but most people in the community tend to lean towards Laravel is awesome because I, I love Laravel and it means that my videos can be Laravel as well. Yeah, so that's what it is. It's, it's a framework that exports to all platforms with a ridiculously large component library that is like phenomenally flexible. And, but, but it also offers a fuller development experience. So with Quasar CLR, you get like all these extra benefits out of the box. There's different ways you can use Quasar, but kind of the recommended ways using the Quasar CLI. And then you get like, you get all these like utility classes for dealing with dates, for example. So you can sort of, and you get utility classes for colors and, you know, a lot of our CSS helpers out of the box, or what do you call them? Utility classes. By the way, Quasar was using utility classes before they were cool. <laughs> Just that I throw that in. <laughs> but yeah, so that so that that's what Quasar is, uh, sort of in a nutshell. It exports to all platforms. It uses material design. It's got a massive component library and offers a really full developer experience. That was an excellent description. And I feel like there's a lot that we're going to have to unpack there. So you say you're building an application and, and it can export to all platforms. So you can go to mobile, you can go to desktop, Mac, Windows, Linux. Is this using Electron? Yep. So Electron and there's another one, Capacitor. Capacitor and Cordova. Yeah. It supports both Cordova and Capacitor. No, it is, is it Cordova or Cordova? Whatever. One of those. <laughs> oh, okay. Whatever. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure. Cool. So, so you're building a single application. It's a single code base that can go to all of these different platforms. Are you needing to isolate code for certain environments or is that something that the, the framework provides for you? Like this, this block is for mobile, this block is for desktop, this part is for PWA. What, what's that experience feel like? Yeah, pretty much. Carlo could probably talk to this better than I could, but pretty oh. much that. So when you install these other, like when you first start up one of these other dev environments, it will basically create a folder in your project and make it really easy for you to basically tap into that environment and do stuff that's specific to that environment. But on top of that, and this like really blows my mind, Razvan, the creator, has done a phenomenal job of offering everything that you would need to target different, to different, target different platforms. So you can say, for example, I am on a desktop platform, so show this, or I am on a a mobile platform, so fetch this from the server. So it's really easy to basically write specific code for these different platforms. And it has been built from the ground up with that in mind. So yeah, so so when you are building for other platforms, it's it really is a stellar experience in terms of tapping into code to target those different platforms. I don't know if you want to add anything to that, Carlo? Yeah, well, adding up, adding up uh, to this, there's into the folders, into the, the integration folders, like for Capacitor or Electron, there's only the files you will need uh, for that integration. 
all the other files stays in the same uh, in the same folder in, in the same search folder. So your whole application is you use always the same files, and you usually use uh, Webpack uh, environment variables to add add or, or remove uh, the, the code for different targets, for different build targets. So when the Quasar CLI compiles for a given platform, all the code you are not using for, for all other platforms will be cut off. You can also, there's also a configuration file, a main configuration file, uh, quasarconf.js, which holds everything together. So you can change the environment variables which are provided to the Quasar CLI when building, and uh, you can just change everything dynamically there depending on the target you are you are targeting. Okay, <laughs> bad, bad choice of word, but you understand. That's awesome that it provides that basically tree shaking for different platforms. That's very helpful. You mentioned the Quasar CLI a couple of times. I'd like to talk about that as well. So when I hear CLI, I'm thinking, my, my main comparison is with the Vue CLI, which provides a lot of plugin ecosystem, a lot of configuration, there's the the graphical interface if you want to use that. And where does the the Quasar CLI come in? How does it interact with your application? Are you using it on a regular basis? Is it just to scaffold the application? What did, what does that look like? Okay, great question. Once again, Carlo might want to chime in with some stuff here, but I'll kind of like create a mess and then he can clean it up. Yeah, so you can actually use Vue CLI in order to build Quasar applications. There's actually you can use UMD, um, Vue CLI, or Quasar CLI. So you do have that option of using Vue CLI. However, Quasar CLI basically gives you stuff like the Vuex store, the, your, the routing for you out of the box whilst you're using the CLI. And it basically allows it to take more control over those sort of aspects and gives you a little bit more. And it, and it allows it to sort of streamline some of the functionality there. But yeah, so the way you would use it, you'd create a new project using the Quasar CLI. And then you can go in your project and say, for example, Quasar Dev to start up your development environment. And then you can say Quasar Dev, and then you can change the mode to Electron to start developing an Electron. And so that's kind of like, that's one of the other benefits of using, using the CLI. Also scaffolding out files. So if you want to do things the quote unquote Quasar way, you can create a page using the Quasar CLI or a component or boot files, or in the new versions of, of Quasar, we've actually got middleware now as well for when you're doing um, server-side rendered applications. And so all of those files can be built using the Quasar CLI. But Carlo, you might want to talk more about sort of what the Quasar CLI does and some of the other benefits. Well, yeah, uh, Quasar CLI is pretty similar to Vue CLI. Actually, it started using some code from Vue CLI, then evolved in something on itself. I, I don't remember if you mentioned this, but uh, all the integration, all the automatic integration with Electron Capacitor, they are possible only when using the Quasar CLI, not when using the Vue CLI. So when using the Vue CLI, you're only importing the library, the component library, more or less, and the helpers and whatever, but not you cannot use the integration. Quasar CLI, well, actually, well, I think it's that's all. If you have some specific question about how Quasar CLI works, 
otherwise, I, I usually work better when, when asked a specific question than when I have to present a whole system. But uh, that's fine. <laughs> I, I understand. So I'll, I'll go with this. Luke mentioned that you could scaffold out some of the files. So like if you wanted to do a page, if you wanted to do a component or something like that. Is that comparable to something like Ruby on Rails where you can just enter a command in the CLI and scaffold out a piece of your application? Well, not right now. Like uh, right now, it, it only takes care of some kind of files. So yeah, in, as uh, Duke said, boot files, uh, stores, uh, pages, layouts. So you have a preset. is something like artisan. Artisan uh, create new, make new, I think. So it's uh, it's just for some kind of files. Later on this this year, we plan to create a more advanced scaffolding package, let's say like this, but it will probably be a paid service. Will be We hope it will be one of the main... Cool. Monetization? Yeah, monetization. Okay. It will probably be one of the, of the main monetization way for Quasar going on. We hope so, at least. That's awesome. And that makes a lot of sense as a way to uh, get some revenue coming in for the project. It's always difficult to find those the, the right level of free tier compared, compared to paid tier, especially with a developer tool. But I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's, it's pretty similar to what Laravel did, actually. If, if I remember correctly, it was it's called Laravel Spark, and then it has been open-sourced as Laravel Jetpack right now. And we kind of take the same... Uh, it's more or less the same idea. We did uh, a survey um, into the community last year, and this was one of the like hot topics who came up. So we say, okay, let's just let's see what we can do here. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Actually, it's Laravel Jetstream. Oh, they have a Jetpack too. I'm thinking Jetstream. No, it's um, no, Laravel Jetstream. Yeah. Yeah, because I've been playing with Jetstream. Yeah, man, how cool is Jetstream? Isn't and it I awesome? I love that we've got Laravel Fortify as well. Like that just blew my mind. When I saw, honestly, when I saw Jetstream and I saw a breeze, well, it was Jetstream originally, I got like a little bit scared if I'm really honest, because I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is like jumping way out of my world. I like to do SPAs. I like to do PWAs, you know, using Quasar and using the Quasar CLI. But then I discovered Fortify and it's like, whoa, this is awesome. So I can create a login form use Laravel Sanctum and use Laravel Fortify, which basically means that I can have a full working SPA that works with all of the Laravel awesome stuff on the back end. So yeah, for a lot of you people, I think a lot of people don't know this and have been confused with the Laravel ecosystem. I've seen this in the Quasar community um, because it's obviously got a lot of different ways that you can authenticate. But yeah, so if you want to get started, this is like a, guess a, a public service, like what do you call it? A public service announcement or whatever. Right. Yeah. If you want to get started with Laravel and an SPA or a PWA, the technology stack you want with Laravel looks something like, will probably look something like this. Laravel Fortify, Laravel Sanctum. So Sanctum is going to allow you to authenticate with Laravel. And then on the front end, you can use something like Quasar or view anything with like UCLI. Definitely use Quasar though, because it is awesome. Yeah, I use it. I've been using it with inertia just because I've been playing around with inertia. Do you use inertia with uh, what's it called? Laravel 
dropping from my mind now. Like using the Jetstream original plugin with Inertia. Yeah, yeah, you can just do a Laravel. I can't remember what the command line install is, but yeah, you can basically just install Laravel, tell it to use Jetstream with Inertia, and you're up and running. Yeah, super cool. I always love uh, Jonathan Rennick's podcast as well. He's oh, like, he has his own podcast. Yeah, I know Jonathan because I interviewed him on JavaScript Jabber one time. Yeah, I don't think he has a pod. I'm not sure if he has a podcast, but. I just love listening to him. He's one of those people where you listen to a podcast and then you go into your podcast catcher and you're searching for his name to find out where else he's been around. Like yeah. I did that with Jeff Pye as well. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a lot of fun to, to interview for sure. Yeah, he's been on, he was on Full Stack Radio with Adam Wilder and, and we had him on, I'm pretty much other places too. But yeah, it's, he does some really cool stuff with Inertia. While we're on the topic of Laravel, what, what does it look like to integrate Quasar with a, a Laravel backend? Yeah, that's going to be my question too. Is was what's your backend options for kind of Quasar, especially cool, if you're nice. using the the Quasar CLI, because that's that seems like a really awesome target, especially if you're going to potentially build a mobile application, and then yep. you can have a stable backend like Laravel that has all of this cool technology behind it. And what what does the integration there look like? Honestly, it is just like any other application, any other view application where you would be using a backend. So. You know, there's a few ways that you could go about it. Um, what you could do, for example, if you're using something like Firebase, is you could have a boot file that registers Firebase. So a boot file basically just allows you to tap in to Quasar in any way that you like. So you can create these boot files that just like open up the entire framework to you. And then you could attach, for example, like Firebase onto there or like, you know, whatever tools you're using for GraphQL. What I tend to do for Laravel is I've actually made my own Sanctum plugin which isn't currently publicly available just because I haven't sort of cleaned it up, but I might do that and make it publicly available. But yeah, usually with Sanctum, all you have to do is make a request to, I think it's like slash Sanctum. There's CSRF token or something like that, Sanctum slash CSRF token, which is going to give you a, a cookie back. And once you've got that set up and you've made that request for the CSRF token, you can then log into your application. So look, honestly, there is a bit of setup with that, but that's not just a Quasar thing. That's a Laravel Sanctum thing in general. But I've actually done a, I did a live stream series and I'm going to be doing a, a sort of more official series on getting Laravel set up, Laravel Sanctum set up with Quasar. So if you just do like a quick YouTube search for Quasar Laravel Sanctum, you'll probably run into one of my videos on that. And yeah, you can, you can actually also do it with Passport. I haven't done a video on that yet, but you can also set up Laravel Passport with Quasar if you want that extra functionality, like that extra API functionality. But yeah, I know Kahlo did a, a blog post on this, so maybe you want to add something in there, Kahlo? Yeah, there's actually multiple ways you can integrate Laravel and Quasar. The one I prefer is to keep uh, the client and the, and the server in different folders. Obviously, in the client, there's Quasar, and you can you can select as a build folder, as a yeah, as a build target, let's say build target folder, the one of the public Laravel one. So you can just go up one level and into the other one. So you just do a Quasar build and enter in the Laravel folder, and you can serve it from there. But I saw uh, also from another of the core team uh, member. Uh, there's a starter kit which put both together, like both the Laravel files and the Quasar files in the same folder. So there's actually multiple ways you can tackle this. Usually I then use the Quasar configuration file to link 
to, um, to link the dev server to Laravel. My, my usual setup is with Onstead, so I just make the use the uh, HTTP proxy middleware to point all the requests coming from uh, from Quasar to the Laravel machine. And yeah, we wrote an article about this because people were keeping keeping asking, and that's actually one of the first medium project. We used this technique into one of the medium projects we did, and we actually liked that a lot. Yeah, I keep meaning to to dive more into Laravel. I use it at work with a client, and it's just really cool and really powerful. And I think marrying Quasar with Laravel just gives you a whole lot of potential there. That makes a lot of sense. If you and you can someone... also... Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, if you ever want to talk to someone about like Laravel stuff, hit me up because I could talk about Laravel all day long. Like I'll, I will not get any work done. But yeah, if you need a hand with any Laravel related stuff, then like, yeah, let me know. I will keep that in mind. Thank you. Diving back towards the Quasar portion. Oh, did you want to say something, Kyle? No, no, no. It was something I really forgot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all good. Diving back into the, the Quasar part of this. Uh, you mentioned, Luke, that this was a material design framework. Is it pop? So my, I have two questions. One, is it possible to just bring in the components from Quasar if you wanted to build a, an application? Kind of similar to how Vutify does it, but mm. kind of setting aside a lot of the benefit I know. I'm just curious if that's possible. Yes. And then point two is, <laughs> oh, it's good to know. And point two, do you need to use material design to use Quasar? Is there a way to style it away from that if you prefer a different look? Okay, so this is a great question and we get it quite a bit. And a valid question because people come across Quasar and honestly, the first reaction is like, whoa, this is amazing. I've got all these different components that I can use and I love that I can export to different platforms and people get excited, but then people want to style their site exactly how you know they like. And use Tailwind. And, yeah. <laughs> and use Tailwind. Everyone wants to use Tailwind. You know, I, I adore Tailwind, but I have my own opinions on that in terms of using Quasar which I don't know if I'll share them here or not. I'll, I don't know. We'll see how we go. <laughs> but, so in, in, but to answer your first question, yes, you can use UMD mode, which basically allows you, or the Vue CLI mode, which allows you to just throw components into your current applications. And by the way, if you like, you should totally do that. The Quasar component library is insane. The, the components are not only a wonder to use. So if you're just getting started, they are super, super easy to get started with, right? So you can do really simple stuff. Like if you want an 